0: People who know me well know that one of my favorite things is technology. I love technology. I think it's awesome. Um, I'm the guy that probably buys into every single commercial that you see on TV for a new gadget. I'm like, ooh, that's, I want that. I want that. I love technology. And I think in a lot of ways, technology actually helps us um, from a, a, a church perspective, from a Christian perspective. I think technology is great. Um, I also think that at times technology can be challenging But I want to show you one of the ways that technology is great. So if you have a smartphone, you can follow along this morning with the message that we're doing. That was a nice save, wasn't it? (laughs) Um, Because I did actually forget to tell you about this, but I I was pretty smooth. I went right into that. Um, If you have a smartphone, you can pull that out. And uh, if you have the UVersion app or the Bible app, um, you can click on the live section that's in the tabs at the bottom. Well, on an iPhone, I don't know on those other <laughs> silly phones what it is. But on an iPhone, on an iPhone, if you click on the tabs at the bottom, um, then you can click on live. And if you just simply type in the well, Austin, it'll bring up uh, the scripture. And uh, there's a poll question. And there's some things on there. And then if you don't have that app and you still want to follow along, what you can do is you can type in this link that's on the screen and it will uh, take you there and you could still use it that way if you would like to do so. So it's super helpful to do that. Um, I, I think technology is great and it's very helpful. Um, today, the majority of what we're talking about will be uh, from the book of Romans. So if you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have a phone and you want to use a Bible, there's one under the chairs uh, near you. You could take that. You could use that. If you don't own a Bible, you can take it with you. Um, that would be great. Um, so technology can have a negative side, especially when it comes to what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is compassion, and I think that at times, social media specifically can have a negative side. And part of it is because what happens with, if you're not careful, or if you're like me, what happens is we end up becoming really obsessed with ourselves, right? And I don't know if you know this or not. Well, you probably do know this, but there's, have you noticed that there's all kinds of now categories of selfies, right? I mean, you just got like, I'm driving in the car selfie. You got the duck face selfie, which I, you know, I've tried that several times. I can't do that. Um, Apparently that's only a female thing. uh, So guys don't try that one. It doesn't work very well. Um, But there's all kinds of selfies and they even have this stupid little stick now called a selfish stick. Um, And so it's really not called that but but isn't it interesting that what happens sometimes if we 're not careful with social media is it becomes we become really self absorbed so i'm not I'm not shaming you if you take a selfie uh, maybe not during the sermon, but you can do it after church but I'm, it's not i'm not saying that it's bad, but what i'm saying is sometimes if we're not careful uh, we become super self absorbed and technology specifically social media sometimes can can lead us astray in that The other thing that happens is I think we get somewhat overwhelmed and desensitized to the things that we see, right? So specifically on Facebook, if you're, if especially, it's true on the computer, but especially if you're on your phone, you're scrolling down through stuff and you see all kinds of stuff because we all have those friends that post 20,000 recipes, right? And so you see the new recipe for something and then you see somebody who, you know, they got uh, the worst is when it's the first day of school, right? And all the parents are posting all these pictures of their kids the first day of school. Like, I'm glad that they're going back to school. I'm really glad when my kids go back to school. But, like, we don't really, like, everybody's aware that it's school, so I'm not sure that we need to, but it's not a bad thing. But in the midst of all of that, sometimes people post really heavy things, like children starving, and cancer, and death. And what happens is we just kind of, like, see it, oh, yeah, somebody died, and we scroll through oh yeah, somebody's sick, and we scroll through. And it desensitizes us to the actual gravity of what's going on in our world, the sickness, the pain, the death, and we just kind of like move on. Oh yeah, somebody's sick. Oh yeah, somebody died. Oh yeah, somebody needs help. And it becomes like, eh, it's just, we saw it. And, we, and, and it's like, okay. And we just move on. And, and I think what happens is it desensitizes us. Now, sometimes what happens is we, like, I don't know, back when i was a kid and we only had 3 channels and i was the remote every once in a while there would be there would be a commercial that would come on about starving children or dogs that need to be rescued and I actually have a very sensitive side and I would see these commercials and I would get really emotional and I would make sure that nobody else in the room knew that I was emotional, but I would see that and I would be moved by these commercials. Now, sometimes when I see those things, it's like, oh yeah, because I see all kinds of stuff. We have so much information that it desensitizes us to the things in our world. So that's a potential negative. A third potential negative is the lack of personal interaction. Like we see these things, we click on it, we maybe post a comment, we say, I'm sorry, uh, we, we share. And then the other thing, this doesn't actually have anything to do with what I'm talking about today, I just wanna do a public service announcement. Um, the people that like post those things that if you really love Jesus, click like, and if you super duper love Jesus, you have to share. And we feel like if we do those things that we're accomplishing something great, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> Um, so I just want you to know, I never, like if you, if I, if you posted that and you see me that I didn't post it, I'm pretty confident that I love Jesus. And so I'm the, I don't feel guilty by not sharing that. That's just public service announcement It didn't have anything to do with what we're talking about compassion for Jesus though so we're talking about compassion but compassion for Jesus was more than just doing something nice for someone it was more than just doing a good deed compassion for Jesus and, and if you those of you who like um, additional work like if you want to do some homework I challenge you go and look at every time in in the New Testament when it says Jesus was moved with compassion go look it. It's crazy. Every time that Jesus is moved with compassion, he does something incredible. Like there's, he does something. So it's more than just, oh, I feel bad or oh, somebody should help them. In scripture, when Jesus is moved, it's more than just doing something nice for them. It's more than just giving them something. It's actually changing their life. That's why he has compassion. It's because he desires to change their life. And so um, you can go look that up. It's super interesting. Um, Jesus is simply saying, there's something broken in our world. And here's a, here's a good way to, to, I'm gonna give you like a super duper 55,000, Above overview of scripture and why Jesus did that. Okay, so God creates the world and it's great and it's perfect, right? He initiates His kingdom and everything is glorious and everything is per- per- purposefully made. Uh, is that what I meant to say? But it's perfect. And then we know if you've been around church at all, you know part of the story. So Adam and Eve, they uh, sin and what happens is what we typically call the fall. Okay, so now enters into this perfect world brokenness. Sin enters in and it's no longer perfect. But God says, I have a plan for you. I, have, I see that it's, that it's messed up, that it's broken, but I'm gonna come and, and I'm gonna send my son Jesus to take care of your brokenness. And, and typically that's what we call the gospel. So Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he comes back to life so that you and I can be fixed of our brokenness, so that the world can be fixed of its brokenness. But we still live in a broken world. So when Jesus was walking around he would see things and he knows, he knows, right? We, are we all on the same page? Like he knows everything, right? So he knows this isn't the picture that we have in mind. It's messed up. And I see something that's not right, something that's broken, someone that's hurting, someone that's sick, someone that's hungry. And I need to fix this because this isn't a great picture. It's kind of like this. Hopefully, you may still be sitting on it because you may have not seen it, depending on what color yours was. But there was a, a, a piece of puzzle in your chair. So, everybody, everybody take this out. How many of you enjoy puzzles? Really? That was way more than I anticipated. Can I see that again just because it's blowing my mind? That's more than 50% of the people in the room like puzzles. I hate puzzles. Puzzles drive me insane. I learned this early on. My grandmother liked puzzles. My mom likes puzzles. um, And they would force me to play puzzle. It was horrible. You sit there for hours and hours and accomplish very little. So you know what I would do? You know what I would do? I would just start shoving pieces in there. It didn't matter if they fit or not. I would shove pieces in there. If, if it had a little spot and I could kind of sort of make it work, I would just shove pieces in there because the sooner we got all the pieces in there, the sooner we could leave. And I'm shoving pieces in there. You know what happens when you shove pieces in a puzzle? It doesn't make the picture right. Like when you see the picture. So you probably can't see this, and it's kind of cheesy, but it was cheap. That's why we bought it. Um, so this is the picture of the puzzle piece that you have and so if we were all somebody said earlier if you're making us put this puzzle together before we leave I'm leaving now Um, somebody said that earlier no you don't have to put it together but I'm just saying this is the picture that it's supposed to be and and if we actually did it right and we put the pieces together that's what it would look like okay that's what it would look like but you know what happens when you force pieces in that don't really go it kind of messes up the picture like it doesn't come out the way that it was supposed to be And what Jesus is saying when he performs some sort of compassion, when when he gets moved with compassion, Jesus is saying, the world that you live in is not the picture that it's supposed to be, and it's broken and it's messed up. And just for a moment, I want to enter into your world and I want to show you what it's really supposed to be like. There's no brokenness there's healing, there's perfection. And so when Jesus was moved with compassion, that's what he was saying. He's like, sin has entered into the world and shoved pieces in where they don't go, and I'm trying to fix it for you. And so Jesus, in those moments, when you go read the stories, when Jesus is interacting with people, that's what he's doing. He's saying, this is really what the world is supposed to look like. And then he's saying, Scripture teaches us that at some point he's coming back again and he's gonna make everything new and he's gonna make everything perfect again. So right now, yes, we live in a broken world and yes, right now we have pain and suffering and weeping and sickness and sometimes Jesus would enter in and say, "I have compassion," and He would fix it, and He would give us a picture of what it's supposed to look like. And He says, "I'm coming back. I'm going to return and make everything new, make everything perfect, and all of those pieces that got shoved in there by sin, I'm removing those and making the picture perfect again." That's what Jesus is saying when He does that. Now, there's a famous story in Scripture that, if you've been around church at all or been around somebody who goes to church um, at all, is called the Good Samaritan, and people use this story a lot. We're not going to. I put the scripture in, in your notes if you want to go and read it, but just quickly, here's what happens in this story. Okay, A guy comes to Jesus and says, I want to know how I can be great. I want to know how I can be good. What does it look like? And Jesus says, you need to, be, you need to love the Lord your God and you need to love your neighbor. Okay? And the guy's like, okay, I can do that, but, but just so I'm sure, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. He tells a story that, about this guy who gets beat up on a road, like he's just smashed, he's barely alive, he's beat up, and two people pass by that should offer him compassion. They should help him, and they don't. A third person comes by, and it says that this man offers him compassion. It's actually this guy who's his natural enemy. Like, they don't get along. They fight. Natural enemy, he sees this guy, he has compassion on him, he helps him. And then Jesus says, I don't know if this will do anything for you, but this freaks me out. Jesus asks the guy that he's telling the story to, he says, of those three people, which one of them is the neighbor? Now remember what Jesus said, just pop quiz. What did Jesus say that the third guy offered the man? What did he offer him? Compassion, okay? You need to know that. He offered him compassion. Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus says to the guy, which one of these is his neighbor? Look what happens. Freaky. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus doesn't correct him. He doesn't say, you're right, you're wrong. He was like, yes, go do that. So Jesus says, this guy offers him compassion. Which one is his neighbor? And the guy says, the one who gave him mercy. And Jesus says, go do that. For me, that's a little puzzling and troubling, right? Because I'm like, so what is it? Compassion or mercy? Because Jesus tells a story and he says he offers him compassion. And then he asks the guy who was right, who was the neighbor. And the guy says, the one who gave him mercy, go do that. Which one is it? I want to know. Is it compassion or is it mercy so I can check off my box so that I did what I was supposed to do? That's what I want to know. But here's what's interesting. So I've been doing a little bit of a survey from different people, and they get frustrated with me, um, but I kind of enjoy it. So we did it, in our, and we did it in my community group. I did it the other night at my house. Some people were in my house. And so I just want to ask you, just think about it. You don't normally answer out loud even when I ask you to, but I'm not asking you you to at this moment. Just think about it. Which one is it? Are those words the same or are they different? Is compassion and mercy the same or are they different? Think about it. Are they the same or are they different? Now, I'm going to be nice in this moment and give you somewhat of the answer. You can go do more homework on your own, but I'm going to give you somewhat of the answer now. The people that I polled earlier, I didn't give them the answer, but basically they're... There are shades of difference. It would be like if we're talking about colors, they're in the same family, right? They're just shades or hues of the same thing. So they're very similar. There are some differences, but they're very similar. So compassion and mercy at times can mean the same thing or be used interchangeably. So when we talk about, so that's why when Jesus said, this guy offered him compassion, which one is the, goodest, the best neighbor? And he said, the guy who offered him mercy, Jesus says, yes. Interesting. Interesting. So now, Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it to you again and then i to come back and I want to show you something. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, I know you've heard this before, but I want us to dig into it for just a moment. In verse 1 of chapter, uh, of chapter 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. What are you supposed to ask any time when you see this word? What's it there for? Okay? Anytime when you're reading scripture and you see the word therefore, you need to ask, why is it there? So Paul is simply saying, this is fascinating, okay? Paul is simply saying, Chapters 1 through 11, therefore, okay? Don't miss this, okay? I know I'm geeking out on you just a little bit, but don't miss this. Chapters, and we won't go read them. Maybe you can read them later. I will will give you an overview in just a minute. Chapters 1 through 11, and then Paul all of a sudden says, therefore, and he's gonna sum it up. Like, he's gonna sum up, okay, all of this stuff in chapters 1 through 11 that I told you, therefore, let me sum it up for you with one word. Mercy, because that's what it says. It says, "I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God." So, chapters one through eleven, great stuff. Chapters one through eleven, super good stuff. And then he says, "Therefore, by the mercies of God," he's like this. So, so what happens is from twelve to sixteen, it becomes a little bit more. Um, practical a little bit more application a little bit more live like this this is the life that you should live so 1 through 11 is here's the theology of what you're supposed to do and then 12 through 16 is here's the how you're supposed to live so what he's saying is when he says right there i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god from here on out i'm telling you you should learn about the mercies of god and that's how you should live So, 1 through 11 is talking about doctrine. 12 to 16 is talking about practice, okay? Um, 1 through 11 is theology, and then after that, he becomes ethics. So, 1 through 11 is talking about God and sin and the cross and resurrection. And then, 12 on, he's talking about this is how you should live. You see the difference? The first part, 1 through 11, is about knowing, 12 through 16 is about doing. Okay, we're on the same page there? Okay, one person is on the same page. <laughs> Isn't uh, this is a perfect example of why you like technology and why you hate technology. Because I'm supposed to be going to the next page, and it is not going to the next page. And I kind of feel convicted at the present moment that God is kind of like, okay, I'll show you technology. (laughs) Um, I'm kind of baffled. And I think it's funny and I think it's sad at the same time. So we're going to go on. What's my next slide? Okay. That is so weird. Well, you're going to get the abbreviated version. But thank you Jesus. As a Christian, as a Christ follower, our responsibility our role is to shine the light, be an example, lift high the name of Jesus because of the mercies of God. That's, what, that's, how, that's how or why we should do the things that we're supposed to do. But what's important is if we just do things, like if it's just a checklist and we miss the therefore part, like we're, there's no foundation. We just do the things that we think that we're supposed to do. We miss the whole point. We miss the compassion and mercy are there when it says that we're supposed to live by mercy, when we're supposed to show compassion. The reason that we're supposed to do those things is to show the greatness of God. So it's more, don't get upset with me, but it's more than just taking a, a bag of food to a homeless guy. And I'm not saying that that's bad, okay? But anybody can do that, right? They don't have, somebody doesn't have to be a follower of Jesus to feed the homeless, So when you do it, it's so that you can point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're pointing people to Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about the deeds that you're doing. It's about the therefore. Because this is how God says that you're supposed to live. Therefore, you're doing it. Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, but because you see this is what God did for you through Jesus, so now I'm gonna live accordingly. That's the difference. So it's not about you doing something nice. It's not about you being good. It's not about you following the rules. It's about you being impacted by the compassion and mercy of Jesus. Therefore, you offer compassion and mercy to those around you, to your neighbor. There are huge implications here, and I'm about to confess to you one way that I failed as a parent. At least, maybe not every time, but a lot of times. And I know that there's like 10,000 people in the room who are pregnant right now. Sorry if I just gave away your secret. I don't know what it is, but there's something in the coffee. Please don't drink the coffee unless you want to be pregnant. If you drink the coffee, you're going to get pregnant, okay? I'm just telling you. Implications, this, what we're talking about, the therefore part, has huge implications as parents. This is why. Because as a parent for a long time, you know what I said? Just do it. And they would say, why? Why? Just do it. Don't ask why? Just do it. Because I said so. It should be enough for you. just do it. And I want to tell you that if you don't teach those of you that have children or about to pop one out, let me tell you, ooh, that's sorry, I apologize. That was probably inter- I, I'm sorry. That is, I should have chosen my words more wisely. Um, focus. You have to teach your children therefore it's not about just do it they need to understand why they're supposed to do it, they need to understand because of chapters 1 through 11 in Romans, therefore this is, this is how you should live this is what you should say this is how you should act this is where you should go, this is what you should do because of 1 through 11 therefore and it's what's what happens is I know trust me I know Children can be frustrating at times, and you just want to tell them, just do it. But you know who always said, just do it? Other than Nike? (laughs) I know you were thinking it, that's why I said it. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, they said it. The Pharisees. They didn't care about why. They didn't care about the therefore. They didn't care about what's the foundation. As long as they checked the box, as long as they did what they were supposed to do, as long as they followed all the rules, they didn't understand the therefore. So when you go and you desire to live a life of compassion and mercy, if you don't understand the therefore, you're just being a nice person. And I want you and I want us as a church to be more than just a bunch of nice people. And if you don't understand the therefore, you're just being nice. It's super important. So so Paul says, chapters 1 through 11, super theological, super foundational, do these things. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he's like, you need to understand the mercies of God. And from here on out, everything that I'm saying live this way, it's because you understand the mercies of God. And so I'm going to just highlight, it's not on the screen, I don't think that it's even in your notes, maybe it is, I can't remember if I put it there, Matthew chapter 12, I'm just going to read you and highlight a few verses from chapter 12, verse 8. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, so now Paul's just laying it out there, like you you do acts of mercy, not out of obligation, but out of cheerfulness, and then it says let love be. Be genuine. Go against evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's mercy. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's mercy. Contribute to the needs of all the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's mercy. Bless those who persecute you. In verse 14, that's mercy. In verse 15, weep with those who weep. That's mercy. In verse 16, live with harmony with one another and do not be haughty but associate with with the lowly, that's mercy. Verse 17, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable. That's mercy. Verse 17, repay no evil for evil, but give, oh, I already did that one. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves. That's mercy. And then he really lays it out in verse 20. So keep in mind what's going on here. Verses one through eleven, all foundational, all theological. Now he's getting practical. And he says in, in, in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him mercy. If he is thirsty, giving some give him something to drink mercy. And so he just lays it out in, in chapter 12. He's just like, mercy, mercy. So now the question is, okay, well, what is it? it was, and I know that it's, it's difficult for me, and you're probably wrestling with some of the same thoughts that I have, so I just want to know, which is it? Am I supposed to offer compassion, or am I supposed to offer mercy? And the answer is yes. And the reason that I know the answer is yes, because if you go back in, in Romans, in chapter 5, it Jesus gives us the example. Shouldn't Jesus always be our example? Right, if we're trying to follow Jesus, shouldn't he be the example? Look what it says. Compassion. Basically, compassion is for the hurting people. Somebody who's hurting in whatever way, that's compassion. Chapter five, verse six. Look what it says. For while we were still weak, we couldn't help ourselves. We're weak. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Just so we're clear, that's you and me. And then he goes on. So uh, mercy, like forgiving, uh, forgiving the guilty. So in verse eight, chapter five, verse eight, it says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were guilty, Christ died for us. So yes, it's mercy. Yes, it's compassion. Yes, it's very similar I want you to take out your puzzle piece one more time for me. If, if you and I understand the therefore, like if you only hear one thing today, this is what you should hear, I don't want you to miss this and I hope that if, if it comes out half as good as it is in my head, it's gonna be awesome. Awesome. if you understand the foundational principles of therefore and why it's there, now what happens is when you live out your life by trying to follow Jesus and by offering compassion and mercy, I want you to, don't miss this, we get to do in a similar kind of way, not exactly, because we're not gonna be able to, most likely, I don't know, most likely we're not gonna do all of the same miracles that Jesus did. But when you offer compassion, and when you offer mercy, you know what you're doing? You're taking out the smashed piece of the broken world that sin has put in, and you give people a glimpse of what Jesus is really supposed to be like. You give people a a glimpse of what the whole picture of Jesus' kingdom is all about, and what it's going to look like when he returns. That's why you serve. That's why you offer compassion. That's why you offer mercy, because the Peace that got shoved in there that caused the brokenness is wrong. And you have the peace that actually completes the picture, Jesus. When you offer compassion and mercy, it's not about you. It's not about you feeling better. It's not even about you doing something. It's about you being obedient to the therefore. It's because you understand that God offers you grace, mercy, compassion, and you want to offer the same thing to those around you. So the next time, when somebody crosses your path, which would be your neighbor, and you offer them compassion or mercy, for a brief moment you're completing the picture of what Jesus is trying to accomplish and what he will accomplish when he returns one day. So here's the challenge, <clears throat> don't just be good, don't just be nice, I want to challenge you to put this puzzle piece somewhere where you'll see it this week, maybe in your car, maybe you want to stick it to your mirror, maybe you want to put it on your forehead, I don't know what you want to do with it, but put it somewhere where you're going to see it, and here's what I'm praying, well, you, this will help you decide whether you want to do it or not. I'm praying that every time you see this piece of puzzle, you think, therefore. And you are reminded of the mercy and compassion that Jesus offers you. And you're reminded of the theological pieces of one through 11, which maybe you read tonight before you go to bed. And therefore, you're gonna respond this way. Therefore, you're gonna live this way. Therefore, you're gonna do this and say this and offer compassion and offer mercy. But I wanna just leave you with one quick challenge and I'm gonna tell you that these aren't gonna be fun. We're gonna put it up on the screen for you and I just wanna take a brief moment to talk about it, true compassion. True compassion demands action. The problem with our American language, we've allowed the definition to change. And I want you to know that compassion is not just simply a feeling. And that's what we think it is sometimes. It's just a feeling. Oh, I feel bad for them. I'm offering them compassion because I feel bad for them. No, you're not. <laughs> True compassion, therefore kind of compassion, demands action. Every time when Jesus it says Jesus was moved to compassion, go look it up. He does something about it. It wasn't just he just felt for them. He did something. And then oftentimes, true compassion interrupts. It doesn't have to. You can actually plan it out, okay? I'm not saying that you can't plan, but oftentimes, it actually interrupts. It interrupts your schedule, something else that you were going to be doing. Oftentimes, it costs you something. It costs you time, energy, resources. True compassion changes lives. It's not just simply because you did something and you feel good about it. It actually changes lives. So, last thing. Look. Some of you aren't. Wake up. Look. Compassion is not clicking like. Mercy is not reading about something on Facebook. Compassion is loving someone. It's action. It's not just clicking like. I love technology, but please don't let technology be your mercy and your compassion, because that's not what it is. Let's pray. God, I'm personally extremely challenged by the things that we've talked about today. And I know that many times I don't actually live out the therefore. I don't offer compassion and mercy because you offer me compassion and mercy. I just do it. And God, I pray that we will begin to understand that compassion is not clicking. It's actually acting. God, I pray that we would begin to understand that compassion is not liking a post, but it's loving a person. And God, the biggest thing that I hope that we take from today is that we begin to get overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy and your compassion that you have for us. And as we continue to pray, I just want to remind us of something, that if you've never actually said yes to the grace of Jesus, then it's hard for you to understand the therefore and the foundational principles of compassion and mercy. You can be a good person and you can do good things, but that's not actually what Jesus calls us to do and so if you've never said yes to Jesus my prayer is that you would simply do that today and you would say Jesus thank you for your grace and your mercy I say thank you for dying on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins and I thank you that you came back to life so that now I can have a new life and as we continue to pray this morning I want to ask you one more thing How many of you in this moment, at this place, would be honest enough to just simply raise your hand and say, I need to understand the therefore, and I need to offer more compassion and mercy? And if that's you, would you just raise your hand, because I want to say a quick prayer for you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, you already know our hearts, but now just as a, a physical example, many of us have raised our hands to say, Would you please teach us how to offer true mercy and compassion? And so, God, I pray that this week we would be overwhelmed by your mercy and your compassion in our lives and that that would begin to ooze out of us and that we would paint a clear picture for the world around us of who you are, what you've done, and what you will continue to do. And we say thank you. In your righteous and holy name we pray. Amen.